Hi, this is Edwin Crozier of the Franklin Church of Christ. I want to welcome you as you join us for another exciting look into God's Word. We know that faith is the victory that overcomes the world. But the Bible also describes faith that simply does not cut it. By examining the faith that is not the victory, I believe we can learn to develop the faith that is. I want to thank you for joining us as we study God's Word to learn about faith that does not overcome. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4 says, Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. But what is this faith that overcomes the world? I believe we can learn about this faith by taking a look at passages in the Scripture that talk about a faith that does not overcome the world. And by contrasting with that, we can learn what kind of faith we ought to have in order to serve our God, in order to have saving faith that overcomes the world, glorifying and honoring God and bringing us into His Son and His grace. Before we examine this, would you bow with me in prayer? Glorious God and Father in heaven, we do not look for glory ourselves, but we want You to be glorified. Father, we pray that You help us to be tools for Your glory. We pray that You strengthen us to honor and live according to Your Word, that we might be Your children who praise Your name, that not only in our mouths, but in our lives and our very actions, Your name is never taken in vain, but is always honored and glorified as we carry Your Son's name, as we walk through this life as Christians, that You will be glad that we bear that name. Father, we pray that You strengthen us and increase our faith. Help us to live according to Your Word, glorifying and honoring You. Not because we believe that You will become indebted to us, Father, we recognize that there is absolutely nothing we can do to earn or merit any of Your gifts. Father, we simply want to praise and honor You because You've done so much for us. We thank You for Your Son who died on the cross for our sins, whose blood cleanses us from unrighteousness. Father, we recognize we live in a dreadful world. We live in a world that is decayed and corrupt because of sin. But Father, through our faith, we look forward to victory. We look forward to conquering this world and conquering death through Your Son. And we look forward to life everlasting with You. And we pray that You help us to overcome through Your Son, and through Your grace, and through Your Spirit, the Word that He has revealed. Help us to glorify and honor You. In Your Son's name, whom, in whom we believe and in whom we trust, we pray. Amen. As we examine the Scripture, the very first kind of faith that I want us to note that is not saving faith, faith that does not overcome the world, is a small Faith. Now, please do not misunderstand, I am not referring to the mustard seed faith that can move mountains. Rather, I am referring to, to what Jesus referred four times in the Gospel of Matthew. 
In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 30, in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 30, Jesus said as He was preaching in the Sermon on the Mount, He said, If God so clothes the grass of the field which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will He not much more clothe you, you of little faith? And in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 26, as the disciples were there in the storm-tossed sea and they cried out to Him, Lord, we're perishing. In Matthew chapter 8 and verse 26, He said to them, Why are you afraid, you men of little faith? And He got up and rebuked the winds and the sea and it became perfectly calm. In Matthew chapter 14 and verse 31, after Peter had asked to be called out onto the water to walk with Jesus there, in Matthew 14 and verse 31, after he had sunk and Jesus had saved him as they came into the boat, Jesus said to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? And in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 8, as the disciples were concerned that Jesus was saying something to them because they hadn't gotten enough bread and maybe they weren't going to be able to eat, Jesus, aware of this, said in Matthew 16 and verse 8, You men of little faith, why do you discuss among yourselves that you have no bread? Four times here he talks about this little faith. A small faith. A faith that does not overcome. And the reason it does not overcome is because in reality, it does not trust God. To understand what this little faith is, let's look a little more closely in Matthew chapter 14. In Matthew chapter 14, as Jesus had come across the water and the disciples saw Him and they were afraid and then Peter realized who it was, Peter cried out to Him, Lord, if it's You, let me come out on to the water and walk with You. Peter had faith. Peter had been there in Matthew chapter 8 when Jesus had demonstrated His power to calm the sea at His verbal command. Peter recognized that Jesus could grant him the power to walk on this water with him. However, when he got out on the water, and he was in the middle of the wind, and the waves were crashing around, that faith that he had intellectually, the knowledge that he had intellectually knowing that Jesus could do these things was not translated into a gut-level instinct trust. When we're talking about a little faith, we're talking about that faith that acknowledges that God can do things. But that when push comes to shove, and we're pushed to our limits. And we are asked in just that moment's notice, that moment when our instinct kicks in, and we make our decisions based on what we feel most deeply in the pit of our stomach. That's the faith God wants. I'm the first to recognize that perhaps we shouldn't be too hard on Peter. Because how many of us would have been different? And yet I'm also the first to recognize that if our Lord rebuked Peter 
Peter was worthy of rebuke. And if we would not have even done as much as Peter did, then we are more worthy of rebuke. Consider in our own lives the example of Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus there talked about a little faith. Here he was talking in Matthew chapter 6 at the end of the chapter about our view of finances and how we're going to be taken care of and what we look forward to in the future and whether or not the Lord's going to take care of us and provide us with food and with clothing. And in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 30, he says, If God so clothes the grass of the field which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will He not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Don't worry then saying, what will we eat or what will we drink? What will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now, I believe if I were to ask for a show of hands how many believe that God can provide clothes for us, and how many believe that God can provide food for us, and how many of us believe that God can take care of us throughout our entire lives, we would all agree that He can, but how many of us live as though He will? Or how many of us are wrapped up thinking that our future is dependent on what the stock market does or what our investments do? Do we have that gut-level instinct of faith that says, I'm going to make my decisions with my finances based upon God's Word, doing what I believe He wants me to do, because I know He is going to take care of me. We're supposed to be good stewards. I'm not telling you that the the decision is to give everything you have away. I'm not saying that at all. My question is, do we do what the Bible says with our finances, knowing that God will take care of us? That is the large faith that overcomes the world. The second faith that we find in Scripture that does not overcome the world is a silent faith. Look in John chapter 12. In John chapter 12, verses 42 and 43. John chapter 12 and verse 42 and 43, the Scripture there reads, Nevertheless, many even of the rulers believed in Him, but because of the Pharisees they were not confessing Him, for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue, For they love the approval of men rather than the approval of God. Here were men that believed. Here were men that had faith. That recognized Jesus as the Son of God. But they would not say it. Because they loved the approval of men. They realized that if they said what they believed, the men wouldn't like them and would cast them out. And so their faith was silent. Jesus demonstrates the great danger of a silent faith in Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 and 33. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 32 and verse 33, the Scripture there says, Therefore, everyone who confesses Me before men, I will also confess him before My Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. If we want Jesus to confess us to the Father, we have to confess Him to others. 
our faith must be vocal. As Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 13, Paul says, But having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.13, We also believe, therefore we also speak. This is the kind of faith that we need to have. The faith that because we believe, we speak our belief. Is Jesus a part of your conversation? Is your faith part of what everyone can see throughout your life because of the way you live, the way you act, the way you talk? If we sit back in fear that folks may not like us because of what we believe and keep it silent, Jesus will not confess us. But a vocal faith overcomes the world. A lazy faith will not overcome the world. In James chapter 2, James chapter 2 and verse 17, James said in James chapter 2 and verse 17, even so faith, if it has no works, is dead by itself. Here is a faith that does nothing, doesn't obey, doesn't live according to God's Word, it just accepts the truth of God. We recognize, of course, that just having some mental assent, just saying that I believe Jesus is the Christ, just believing it in our heart, this says is dead. It's useless. In fact, in verse 19, you believe that God is one? You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. They believe the truth about God. They believe in the power of God. They believed in the oneness of God. They knew who Jesus was and who Jesus is and what Jesus accomplishes, but it doesn't do them any good. Why? Because instead of responding, instead of working in what God has commanded, they just sit back and shudder in fear. A lazy faith that doesn't obey will not overcome the world. Regrettably, for too many Christians, this passage is nothing more than a baptism passage. They read James chapter 2 in order to argue that we have to be baptized in order to be saved and sit back in their comfort zone having been baptized for the remission of their sins and will say, oh, look at the work that I have done. My faith was made complete with works. Brethren, I believe this passage demonstrates that we have to obey the gospel and baptism for the remission of sins, but is that what this passage was put here for? Verse 20. You're willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of works, faith was perfected. 
And the Scripture was fulfilled which says, And Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. I want you to look at the example that is set out for us of a working faith. The example here was not Abraham because he got circumcised. It was Abraham because he was willing to sacrifice everything that he held dear in order to follow and obey God. That was the working faith. It was reckoned to him as righteousness. And how many Christians are willing to have been baptized for the remission of their sins? But they're not willing to sacrifice all that they hold dear in order to serve the Lord. They're not willing to do all that God has asked. They stop short. They don't want to worship God with the saints when the saints are together. They stop short in giving. They stop short in confessing their faith. They stop short in ministering to their brethren. They stop short in seeking first God's kingdom and God's righteousness. A lazy faith will not overcome the world. A neglected faith will not overcome the world. Matthew chapter 23 and verse 23. In Matthew chapter 23 and verse 23, Jesus issues one of the surprising statements of the Scripture, in my mind. He says, Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faith. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. He said, you've neglected these weightier matters, justice, mercy, faith. How could these men who were supposedly the epitome of keeping the law of God have neglected faith? They neglected faith because keeping God's law had never really been about being devoted to God for them. Keeping God's law had simply been a system of ritual for them. Of doing what was right so that they could be better than everybody else. And even when they obeyed God's law, such as the law of the tithe, It wasn't about faith in God and faith in His Word. It was just about being better than others. Being able to check things off the ritual list to say, look at me and what I've done. A neglected faith. John chapter 4 and verse 24 provides the contrast. In John chapter 4 and verse 24, as Jesus was there at the well with the Samaritan woman, and He talked about worship, and He talked about devotion and serving God, He pointed out the contrast as opposed to a neglected faith. He said, God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. It's not just about making sure you're doing all the right things. It's about making sure that your heart is right with God, that your heart is devoted, that you're doing the things that God wants you to do because you have faith in God and you trust God and you want to do things 
God's way. And you're devoted to it. I'll tell you who's in danger of neglected faith. Those who are brought up by Christians. Who are brought up coming to church. And they see all the things that we do and they hear the sermons, but they're never taught just to go into the Word and have their own faith based upon the Word of God. They've neglected faith. And it's no wonder that so many young people leave home and have no idea how to defend the truth from God's Word. They know what mom and dad do. And they might be committed to just doing what mom and dad do if they do anything. But faith has been neglected. And so many of them fall away. What we all need is a devoted faith. Which leads us to the next one. A misplaced faith. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 4, Paul talks about him coming to the Corinthians and he says to him, my message, in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 4, my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Paul says, I wasn't there to be a persuasive orator. I wasn't there to come in and just be the absolute best public speaker that I could possibly be because I did not want your faith resting on me. See, Paul understood something about the Corinthians. He recognized what they experienced was a lot of orators. And whoever the best orator was was able to attract a following. And Paul didn't want that. Paul didn't want them coming because he was just an awesome speaker. He wanted their faith placed properly. Romans chapter 10 and verse 17 demonstrates where the proper place for our faith is. In Romans chapter 10 and verse 17, Paul says, So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. What's proper faith? Faith that is grounded and founded upon God's Word. Too many people have faith in parents, in preachers, in professors, and not enough have faith in just what God says. Don't ever do anything because I said it. I could be wrong. But God is never wrong. And I recognize, of course, that when Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 4 said he came with the demonstration of the Spirit and the demonstration of power, I'm sure that within that... He was mentioning the miraculous gifts of the Spirit that God was using through him. But please keep in mind that that was not the most powerful thing that Paul carried with him to the Corinthians. 
the power that He demonstrated more than the miraculous gifts is demonstrated in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16 and 17. Paul says in Romans 1, 16, I am not ashamed of the Gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. The power that Paul carried with him was the Gospel. No one was ever saved by a miracle that Paul worked through the miraculous gifts of the Spirit. They were only saved by the power of God's glorious Gospel when they placed their faith properly in God's Word. Another faith that does not overcome the world is a vain faith. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 2. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning at verse 1, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Do you see what this passage says? This passage says these people had received the Word of God. They had accepted it. They were standing in it. Do you see that? They were saved by it. Or would be saved by it if they held fast to what they had accepted. But what he demonstrates is if you don't hold fast to what you've accepted, the belief that you did have would be in vain. This should forever put to rest the concept that a moment of faith saves me no matter what I do from here on out. This should forever put to rest the concept that once I am saved, I am always saved. Paul said you've got to hold on to this Word that has delivered you. If you don't hold on to it, it won't save you. The faith that you had would have been vain. It would have been useless. I can believe God for 15 years, but if I decide to turn my back on Him and abandon my faith, He says that faith you had was useless. Don't let it be in vain. Jesus demonstrates His concern about this in Luke chapter 18 and verse 8 as He talks about judgment. In Luke chapter 18 and verse 8, He talks about coming in judgment and He says, I tell you that He will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on the earth? He was concerned about people hanging on to their faith and continuing on steadfast that they might be delivered by grace through faith. How many people believe but have believed in vain because they don't hang on to their faith? How many people, Christians, life doesn't go too smoothly for them. And things don't go their way. And they get mad at God and turn their back on Him. How many Christians go into the Word of God and they find things difficult to understand just as God had said they would? And they decide, well, God must not exist because, well, I don't understand that passage. And they turn their back on their faith. How many people are impatient? And because God's rewards for obeying Him and serving Him faithfully don't always come quickly, 
decide to turn to the immediate gratification of sin. Their faith has been vain. Paul describes the faith that they need to have in Philippians chapter 3. Verse 12. In Philippians chapter 3 and verse 12, Paul said, Not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I don't regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Do you see his faith? It's pressing on. It's patient. It continues. He says, I am not going to let it go because I want to hold on to what Jesus grabbed hold of me for. I want the prize. I want the reward. I want the upward calling. And when Jesus comes in judgment on my life, He is going to find faith. That's the kind of faith that overcomes the world. And finally, a partial faith does not overcome the world. Now, when I mention partial faith, I'm not talking about having some faith, but not all of the faith you ought to have. I'm actually talking about what James mentions in James chapter 2 and verse 1. Because interestingly, what we find out is the faith that Jesus expects us to have is not all about our relationship with God, but also reflects our relationship with others. And he says in James chapter 2 and verse 1, My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. The New King James says, Do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus with an attitude of partiality. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who's wearing the fine clothes and say, you sit here in a good place, and you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down by my footstool. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? So you need to have an impartial faith. The faith that deals with others impartially. As he said in James chapter 3, Verse 17, the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The faith and wisdom that's from above is impartial. It's impartial when it comes to our relationship with our brethren. In Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12 and verse 16, Paul said, be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Our faith needs to be expressed to everyone in this assembly, every one of our brethren with the same attitude. Not judging one to be less than the others. In fact, the only judgment we make like that is that the others are more important than, than me. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning at verse 19, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 19, Paul says, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I may win more. To the Jews I became as a Jew, so that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all men, that so that my, I may by all means save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. 
So it didn't matter what the other person was like. It didn't matter who they were, what their background was. Paul didn't hold his faith with partiality. He recognized the gospel was for everyone. And he was going to give it to them all. Our faith must be impartial if it's going to overcome the world. Examine your faith. Faith is the victory. Faith overcomes the world, but not this faith. Instead of a small faith, we've got to have a large faith. Instead of a silent faith, we've got to have a vocal faith. Instead of a lazy faith, we've got to have a working faith. Instead of a neglected faith, we've got to have a focused and devoted faith. Instead of a misplaced faith, we've got to have a well-grounded, well-founded faith in God and His Word. Instead of a vain faith, we've got to have a useful faith. Instead of a partial faith, we've got to have an impartial faith. What kind of faith do you have? Examine yourself. And don't be afraid of examining yourself. Far too often we are afraid of examining ourselves because we know what we're going to find. We know we're going to find that we come up short. Of course we are. That's why Jesus died. But He expects us to examine our faith. In 2 Peter 1, beginning at verse 5, He said, Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, Supply moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. And he lists these virtues. But then notice in verse 8, he says, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, we're going to find that we fall short. But if we're growing, that's what he expects. Notice verse 10. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. So be diligent. Search it out. Examine it. Where are you? Because that's what it takes to grow. Don't be overcome with the fact that you have to grow. Just examine and grow. And you will develop the faith that overcomes the world. I hope this look at contrast has been a help to you. I hope you'll accept our invitation to examine your faith, that you may grow to have a faith that overcomes. Let's remember what we learned in this lesson. One, we need a large faith, not a small faith. Two, we need a vocal faith, not a silent faith. Three, we need a working faith, not a lazy faith. Four, we need a developed faith and a focused faith, not a neglected faith. Five, we need a faith grounded in God's Word, not a misplaced faith. Six, we need a useful, patient faith, not a vain faith. And seven, we need an impartial faith, not a partial faith. If you were given this lesson by a friend, please feel free to visit our website where you can download many of our lessons, both in audio and outline format. Our website is www.franklinchurchofchrist.com. If you have any questions about faith, about overcoming the world, or about the Franklin Church of Christ, please contact us by calling 615-794-2359. Or you can contact us through our website, franklinchurchofchrist.com. May God richly bless you as you grow in faith. More importantly, may you richly bless God.